A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today, we've got a story about a lifeguard who is obsessed with what you wear. But first, a story from Ninja Buddha 13 You sure you want me to review the invoices? You got it. I work as a project manager for a precast concrete company. Construction contractors will contact us with plan sets and will fabricate their storm drainage inlets and manholes in our shop, then ship them to the contractor's job site where they set the concrete in the ground, connect all the pipes, and bury it all. We build out each structure, complete drainage inlet or manhole, as it ships. Now, on these sorts of jobs, everyone agrees to pricing terms up front. Only catch is that plans can change halfway through the job resulting in change orders, shifts of scope, etc. Usually the pricing is done in a way to simplify everything. Rather than putting an individual price on each structure, they're grouped by average height and type. This can create issues when building out the structures later, as the accounts receivable people can misbill a shorter structure at the taller price, and vice versa. This is really only an issue for larger jobs that have dozens of structures, as keeping track of everything can become overwhelming. So, a few years ago, I started at this job, and the first contract I manage is a very large one consisting of over a hundred structures, and was worth about $400,000. For context, most other contracts I manage have 30 structures or less on them, and usually hover around $100,000. Anyway, it takes over a year, and many change orders to get this contract completed, then comes the billing disputes. It seems like the contractor had bid lower than they actually could manage on this contract. So afterwards, they're trying to make up as much money as possible. They sent over a short list of misbilled structures, some dating back over a year prior, and requested a billing credit of around $4,000 to compensate for the difference in price. Looking at the list and double-checking their math, it all checked out, and I authorized the credit. 
The next week, they reached out again asking for a complete list of structures, invoices, and shipping tickets. Their claim was that we had shorted them on a number of structures from the original purchase agreement, as well as they claimed to have found more misbuilt structures. They already had all this documentation, as we sent it to the contractors at every stage of the project, so I was fairly annoyed by their request. Well, after a few conversations with this contractor that go nowhere, I concede and cancel work on all my other projects for the next few days so I can gather up all the information they've requested. Emails, text messages, delivery tickets, and invoices stretching back over a year, all printed out on my desk. I put it all into a single spreadsheet. I listed out each category of structure, modeled after the original purchase agreement, added in fields for all the relevant change orders, and listed each structure on this job. The sheet numbers it appeared on in the plan set, the structure height, the correct billing category, the price based on original purchase agreement, the invoice number, the price on the invoice, the delivery date, the shipping ticket number, and any relevant notes regarding that particular structure. It took me days to sort through all that data, track down all the supporting emails for each change, and get it all organized into this single spreadsheet. I even had a second sheet dedicated to tracking change orders which I referenced from the main sheet. It was glorious and also enlightening. There were many instances where my company had billed the incorrect price for a structure, even more than this contractor had indicated, but most were billing them the lower price for a shorter structure than the correct price for taller ones. I also found a few structures that were built and delivered but were never billed out. It all came down to the bottom line where it was revealed that through all the change orders, the total contract value had decreased about $20,000. So good for them on saving money, but the cherry in my Sunday was looking at the final balances. In the end, it turned out the contractor owed us over $15,000, not including that $4,000 credit we had sent them earlier. I sent this magnificent spreadsheet off to the contractor, along with an invoice for $19,000. I never heard back from them again, but my AR folks let me know when their last check cleared. Had they done this analysis themselves, with the documents they already had, they could have seen how good of a deal they were getting and saved thousands. I know my company wouldn't have noticed had they not asked me to do the analysis. I still pull out that spreadsheet and look at it on occasion. Gotta appreciate the little victories in life. Personally, I think OP's company should do two things from this revelation. One, give OP a bonus. Two, create a new routine of regularly checking these contracts in depth like that. Does it surprise you guys as much as it does me that a company could allow such sloppy paperwork and billing to even happen? Let me know how you guys feel in the comments down below. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Our next story is from Inulindala, got chewed out by a lifeguard for wearing something that wasn't technically a swimsuit. A couple years ago, I, male 30s, spent a year living in a rural midwestern state. Early on, I went to the local pool wearing some thick knee-length compression underwear that I sometimes use for swimming laps. It was indistinguishable from most jammers, except it had under armor printed on the waistband. About 20 minutes in, the main lifeguard, female 40s, came over and chewed me out for not wearing an actual swimsuit. It was obvious that the real issue wasn't that it wasn't a swimsuit, and she knew that I knew that. 
Just five minutes earlier, we had both watched an older man shuffle slowly into the zero entry part of the pool, looking like he had just walked in off the street. No shower, old polo shirt, khaki shorts, and probably cotton underpants underneath. No, the issue is that my suit wasn't baggy as was the norm here. It didn't hide the fact that I had a package. Mind you, the material was dark navy and thick enough so as not to outline my package or anything like that. Anyway, in the moment I felt ashamed and self-conscious, and I left the pool soon after. After some thought, I went online and purchased two new swimsuits. One was a pair of actual jammers, but thinner and more revealing than what I was wearing before. The other was a short square leg swimsuit that was basically one step before speedo briefs. I wore these two suits for the remainder of my year in that town. Sure, I already owned a regular baggy swimsuit, but that stayed in the drawer. The lifeguard never liked me after that. She would get after me for the smallest things. One time she took it too far. I was at the pool with my one-year-old kid and I picked up a band-aid and walked it over to the garbage can. My kid, who at that age copied everything, immediately began picking up imaginary things and pretended to throw them in the trash. The lifeguard came over and scolded us over that. She told me, and I quote, I don't understand why you would allow your child to play in the garbage. I never let my children play in the garbage. I would never put them in that situation. I was mad enough that I emailed her supervisor from that night. From that point on, the lifeguard completely ignored me, and I was more than happy to return the favor. Yeah, let's make sure to discourage the kids from throwing away things at an early age. That's a good mindset to pass on. I'm usually not a big fan of the whole stay in your lane type comments, but this is the lifeguard of the pool just trying to talk down your parenting choices. Nothing related to the pool, nothing related to pool etiquette, just I don't know why you'd let your child do that. Well, I don't know why you'd think I'd care about what you have to say. Although it might not be a good idea to say that to the lifeguard, they might have a vendetta on you and just let you drown. This next story is from Blue Birdie, extra petty instant compliance. I worked customer service, never again, and an area with a missing floor tile had been cordoned off to protect customers. I observed a customer walking in the direction of the hazard and called to him, but was unable to physically intervene. He walked into the hazard and bounced off it, his eyes located me and he glared. That should be reported, irate customer seethed. Certainly sir, I'll immediately report that you walked into the fluorescent yellow 5 foot cone covered in attention, warning and caution. Smiling broadly all the way to my wicked eyes, irate customer muttered, which and sulked off. He's not wrong. Unless they're walking around with a cane or a service dog, I don't think they really have much room to complain when they essentially walked into some bright neon warning sign. When you're out in the world, it's not other people's responsibilities beyond a simple warning to look out for where you navigate. They put in a whole five feet of effort to try and help you out. If that's not enough, then frankly, I don't know what else to tell you. And our final story of the day is from Lord Knight. Never challenge a number addict or get ready to pay. Five years ago, my little consulting firm took a new client, an e-commerce company which sells DIY tools, inflatable and above ground pools, wood fences, etc. In the end, they sell things that can weigh a few grams or one and a half metric tons, about 3,000 pounds. One day, I was walking through accounts payable office when I saw the courier monthly invoice lying on the desk. Just to give you an idea, the company fulfilled and shipped something like 200 to 250,000 orders per year. 
so every invoice had more than 10,000 records. May to September invoices were well above 20,000 and sometimes 30,000. Every shipment was detailed in a single line record that showed a bunch of data like date of shipping, order number, tracking number, place of delivery, actual weight, volumetric weight, base price and surcharges. Volumetric weight is the weight calculated by a formula which multiplies volume in cubic meters by a constant, 300 kilograms, but every courier has its own. And they use volumetric weight instead of actual weight to bill shippings. Just in the first records, I noticed something odd. A couple orders that were billed something like a thousand euros weighed a few kilograms, but had a volumetric weight of 2,000 kilograms, 4,000-ish pounds. Well, I knew the company was selling bulky goods, but those usually weighed a lot. My sixth sense told me something was wrong. So I searched the orders in the database, and I was right. The orders were for some electric DIY tool, a drill and something else, and there was no chance they could have a volumetric weight of tons. I talked with management and asked if they knew anything about these discrepancies. Nope, they told me. But the average cost of shipping per order was consistent throughout last year's, so I shouldn't have to worry. In my head, it was a big no. I talked with top executives and agreed to be invited to the upcoming quarter meeting with the courier. A couple of weeks later, I attended the meeting, but stayed almost silent for a couple of hours. When they were almost done, I just passed a little dossier to everyone. The first sheets were copies of a few pages of their last invoice, where I had highlighted some records, and behind there was a copy of the corresponding orders with the goods description. Obviously, weights didn't match. I pointed that those were just a few examples of the billing errors I found. I acknowledged that errors were in favor of both parties. Sometimes they billed less than they should have, but the sample I analyzed, a month, about 15,000 shippings, gave me around a 5% average overbilling. To cut it short, I asked them a 5% discount on the previous year invoices, in total 100 to 125,000 euros, and a review of contract terms, taking out volumetric weight, surcharges, etc. Obviously, they asked for my files, which I immediately sent, and we agreed to discuss it in a week. The week passed, and I got an email from the area manager. Basically, they rejected my offer because they did their own math taking into account the last three years, and I was wrong. On the contrary, their company underbilled thousands of shipments, but since my client was very valuable for them, they wouldn't ask anything. Last but not least, they were willing to send me the shipping's data from the last three years. More than 600,000 single records, each one made of more than 40 single information. If I really wanted to do a complete analysis. Needless to say, this didn't make a good impression with company executives and owners, cause I'd already told them that I was darn sure they were owed money. You get the malicious compliance, don't you? It took me a month to clean 36 CSV files full of data I didn't need, involve IT to extract from the company database what I needed, basically the weight of the articles of every single order and their destination, and build a model that, taking into account contract terms, could estimate the precise cost of shipping for each and every order. I can't explain how difficult it was. Mind that the shipping costs mainly depended on the weight region, state, and province, county, but there were three different surcharges and a crap ton of exceptions. 
You know, small towns in the Alps, islands, orders with multiple shippings, full or partial returns, etc. It was excruciating and painful going through all that, double-checking every result that showed an odd peak, etc. On top of this, I had to buy a more powerful laptop because mine took too much time to apply tens of thousands of formulas. All in all, it took me more than two months to get a correct evaluate. Just in time for the next quarter meeting, but this time just the CEO knew what I found because I had to get him involved, as well as a lawyer. I was the first to speak and it more or less went this way. Hey, do you remember when you turned down my settlement offer because we did our math? You also said I could go through the three years of shipping if I really wanted to. Well, it took me two months, but I actually did. And guess what? You were darn right. In fact, your company didn't overbill my client by 5% on average. I said this with a calm and low voice, trying to fake some sort of defeat in my eyes. But by 10%, period. I've just sent you an email with a link to download half a gigabyte of files and, as I know you'll want to do a sample check, the IT team created an account so you can access the database and check every single order, their articles, weight, etc. Obviously, the previous offer is no longer on the table. Now we demand a full refund of 600-ish thousand euros plus the full cost of my work within 10 days. And since we're confident you were in good faith, a complete review of the contract. Otherwise, the person next to me, who happens to be a lawyer, will file a civil lawsuit demanding damages, interests, and legal expenses among with a fraud report to prosecutor. As far as we're concerned, this is the end of today's meeting, but I'm sure you'll get back once you've actually done your math. A week later, they got back and offered 550000 plus the full refund of my cost, and in one month, my client had a brand new and much simpler contract without volumetric weight and surcharges, tens of exceptions, etc. Needless to say, I'm no expert, but I'm imagining that volumetric weight was designed or used in a way that was wholly intending to basically cheat you out of some money. Isn't it quite appalling that because there's just such a mountain of numbers to go through, they were banking that this company would just be like, eh, too much work, just let 600,000 euros go. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another compliance story that was way crazier than any of the ones in this video, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.